0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Chuck Bryant's here. Hello. That's right, Chuck. How are you doing? I am well. How are you? Quiet, Chuck. Let's go for a little walk, shall we? Okay. Let's do so Chuck and I are here uh, at the University of Tennessee campus. Wow, this is nice. In beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee, no balls. We're kind of on the outside of campus. Mm-hmm. Um, we are uh, in the woods, basically. Yeah, it's a little creepy out here. It's gotta tell you, it. it is. Chuck, and you're about to find out why. Actually, Chuck, watch out! Watch, what? Don't step. Oh. Yuck. Wow! You just stepped in a corpse. Yes, in a corpse. Yeah, that that thing really opened up a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah. Kind of like a ripe cantaloupe.
0: Yeah, foot went right through. That's gross. Yeah. I'm not sure what a cantaloupe is,
1: but it it, it doesn't smell that, like that. It's yeah. a lot nicer than that smells. That's so, gnarly. So okay, well I guess we can get out of Knoxville before anybody says anything. Okay? Right. What let's is this just, place? I'll, I'll tell you. Let's just get out of here. Okay. okay? All right. Okay, Chuckers. Wow. And I'm really glad you washed your foot off. Back to the studio. Threw your shoe away. Uh Got rid of your jeans. It's a good thing you weren't wearing shorts. That was gross. Ugh. I was up to my ankle in uh, body. So, Chuck, I I know that was patently unnecessary that we went all the way to Knoxville for that. But um, what we were just at is called the Body Farm. Right. The Body Farm. That's the best setup we've ever had. I know. And just for that, I'm taking my shirt off for the rest of the podcast. Don't do that. Oh, dude. Okay, Chuck. I can't do this. Yes, you can. No. Let's talk about death, baby. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, you can. I can't. Chuck, settle in. No. Come it's on. It's really gonna mess me up. Okay. All right. I'll put my <laughs> shirt back on then. Hold on. Wow. We've reached new new lows here. <laughs> okay. Are you better now, yeah. big baby? I like am. you can't do a podcast with a shirtless Josh. I know. I'm sorry. All right. Well, let's let's get back to the to the issue at hand. Body farms. Okay. okay? Okay, so Chuck, you know me, I'm all about like death, like I'm going to die someday, I can't wait to find out what happens, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So this is right up my alley. Yeah, I thought it was a cool article. So you liked it as well? Yeah, written by your boyfriend, Tom. Uh-huh, Long, long-time boyfriend, Tom Shee. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, yeah, it was good, Body Farms, very gruesome but necessary, cool, interesting
1: topic. Yeah, <laughs> you just won't kick this one off, will you? Well, what do you want me to do to Let's say let's what a body farm about, is? No, let's talk about death first. Okay. So uh, what, the whole point of a body farm is to study decomposition, right? Right. That people might not even know what one is.
0: It's where you study a, a dying or a, a corpse uh, in a state of decay so you can learn things from that.
1: <laughs> well put. I think that's right out of Webster's, sure. actually. So uh, there's actually three body farms around the country, uh-huh. right? There's one at uh, Western North Carolina University. Yep. Go, um, some things. Uh, there is a uh, University of Tennessee, right? At uh, their main campus at Knoxville, where we just were. And sure, kind of uh, the volunteers, uh huh. Yeah, I won't say go, vols though, and you know why. I know. Um, and then there's another one at uh, Texas State University, San Marcos. Uh huh. That's it. Yeah, three body farms in the entire country. I'm and surprised these people there's are, more. they are really churning out the information
0: right i know one of the researchers pointed out that they'd think it would be nice one day if there was a body farm in each state because it's so geographically specific that it would help to know these kind of things yeah yeah makes sense
1: yeah, I think Tennessee's got much of the southeast covered. Yeah, sure. Because it's just wet and sticky down here everywhere. Right. And it's it's muggy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so any information coming out of Tennessee probably applies to much of the south. Yeah. Texas probably you cover the sand and the rocks of the of the west. Yeah, I would imagine. But I mean, and the sun, what happens if you die in Idaho? Well, exactly. You know, maybe they should open one in the Pacific Northwest. That okay. Would be my suggestion. I agree. I agree. Um, all right, so Chuck. Uh, what we're talking about is body farms. Basically, uh, essentially, it's just a, a an area of tract of land. I mm-hmm. think um, Knoxville's is like uh, 300 acres or something like that. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, and then uh, Texas is even, I think it's about 10 times the size of that. I think it's 3,000 acres. Uh, and they have um, dead bodies scattered across it. Uh, and I know Tennessee was the first one to ever open this up. And it was 1971. <laughs> yeah. There was a guy named Dr. Bill Bass, who oh. you sent me a video. Yeah. He that was awesome. He seems nice like such an affable man. Mm-hmm. I should say, Joshua, the Tennessee one is
0: three acre inside of a 300 acre area. Gotcha. So the farming's actually smaller. I gotcha. Which is one of the reasons the residents signed off on it, because they were a little uh,
1: skeptical. Yeah, and I can locals. understand. I can understand how someone would be sure. Yeah, um, so but, back to Bass. Yeah, so Bass opened this uh, the first one in uh, 1971 at the University of Tennessee, and he did it because uh, the cops kept coming to him and asking him, you know, if they could, um, if he could help, you know, with this uh, some murder investigation or anything right. like that. And um, he finally realized that we don't know nearly enough about. Um, Decomposition, right? As far as it pertains to criminal investigations, sure. So he took it upon himself to start collecting corpses, and actually the first ones he got were unclaimed corpses from right. local morgues, right? And right. he just took them out to the body farm, which is actually the technical name for it is the University of Tennessee Forensic Anthropology Facility, right? Um, and he just started scattering them around the place, yeah, and studying, and studying them, and
0: taking uh, journals and logs and photos and. Uh Noting the rate of decay, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the rate of decay. Let's talk about decomposition. We already handled rigor mortis and uh, liver mortis and uh, what is it, algor mortis? Algor mortis. Um, In our rigor mortis podcast, we don't need to talk about that. We already talked about autolysis too. Sure. But there's some other stuff too, like the putrefaction process and and the effects it has on the body. Let's talk about that because it's gnarly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, sounds good.
0: Now, are you talking about the flies and the and maggots? Sure. Okay, we'll start there. Okay. One one way that uh, insects actually give a lot of um, insight into how long a body may have been lying there in a state of decay. Um, I think they said flies will go in through the orifices, like the nose and the ears. And yeah, the mouth.
1: and in one of those videos that you sent me, it, it shows it. Yeah. flies going into a <laughs> nose and the um, the eyeballless eye sockets. It's awesome. Yeah, so they'll do this... Um, Within like a day of the body dying, if they have access to it,
0: like yeah. if the body's outside. Yeah, because
1: the the body, oh, the flies? Sure. Sure. And then they lay eggs. And then in 24 hours, the eggs are hatched into uh, larvae. Yes, which, a.k.a. maggots. Right, and these maggots are decaying flesh-eating machines. Big time. Actually, apparently they can consume 60% of a uh, human corpse uh, within 10 days from the inside out. And actually no, they start from the outside in. Oh, really? Uh-huh, cuz it's laid on the 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 uh, the fly legs eggs on the skin and then they start burrowing in and eating and eating and eating. Ah, uh, well dude, I'm I'm very wrong then. So, um and they actually grow about 10 times in 5 days because they eat so much and they're built for it too. Right. Right, they have like a mouth hook was it is it called? Yeah, that's
0: a uh, mouth hook that that scoops the 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 goo into their mouths, mm-hmm. and then I think their their mouth is on one end, and their breathing apparatus is on the other end. So mm-hmm. they, they're just little eating machines; they don't have to stop to breathe.
1: Right, they're, they can they're just keep going. Literally built for it.
0: So uh, back to what I was saying about the rate of decay. They can take a look at the size of the maggots and determine well if a maggot is this long then it's been in the human body growing for this many days, and it was probably hatched on this day. Mm -hmm. So the body's been
1: there for X number of days or weeks. And that's just one type of fly, and and this this is actually, um, they're called uh, corpse fauna. Uh Uh-huh. No, yeah, corpse fauna. Uh, And just just the, I think the common house fly is the one that Tom's talking about in this article, possibly the bottle fly, but it turns out um, there is a whole ecosystem of flies that start to come in at different stages of the decomposition process. Right. So some really love to pick, you know, the little remnants off of skeletons. Uh-huh. And, um, others, you know, start the whole decomposition process and aid. Others like to show up when, you know, when the body's really starting to turn to goo and. Right. Uh, but yeah, they they study the flies and they can figure out how long the body's been out there, which is a big one. Yeah, that's a big indicator for helping cops kind of figure out, uh,
0: not motive, but time of death. And right. Stuff like that.
1: And also, um, from this article I found out that C S I is a bunch of liars. Yeah, they never do that stuff. No. I didn't know that. Blood blood stain pattern analysis. Uh-huh. Don't do that. That's it. not forensic, no. No. Um handwriting analysis. Nope. Shooting guns into that gel. Yeah. That's all that's not true. They're it's liars. TV. Yeah. Which irks me to no end.
0: Yeah, but you know, we've talked about this before. T V always sensationalizes it. It's- Get over it. (laughs) Okay. It wouldn't be very entertaining if they just came by and said, well, the maggots are 20 millimeters long. Case closed.
1: I got to tell you that those videos you sent me were pretty entertaining and gruesome. Yeah. God, did you see that one guy with the big distended belly? Yes. And actually, uh, one of the things that happens to uh, a corpse as well is the skin blackens.
0: Right. Yeah. And that video did point that out, that certain parts turn black. And I know when the blood collects in certain parts. We talked about that before. Certain parts of the body will be darker and some mm-hmm. will be more pale. Yeah, lividity. Can we talk about degloving? I can't wait. I think you should talk all about it, yeah. It's pretty cool. We learned this from the video as well. When, um, Let's say you look at a human hand that's been lying in the woods over the period of the, the days of decay. It'll start to look really uh, raisiny, like it's been in dishwater, you know? Yeah. And then it starts to literally, you see it starts to kind of gather up and slide off the hand, and the epidermis literally
1: comes off of the hand, mm-hmm.
0: and they call it de-gloving.
1: Yeah, and they actually have figured out that um, you can take this glove, this de-gloved right. skin so that's kind of laying nearby the uh, hand. If you can get to it before uh-huh. an animal comes up and is like, "heck yeah, glove!" Right. Um, <laughs> it, you can you can uh, take it into the lab, uh, put a rubber glove on, mm-hmm. and then put this human skin yeah. on like a glove, yep. and then fingerprint that way. Because you know, once the once the epidermis comes off, there goes the fingerprints. And and forensic anthropologists like Dr. Bass at the Body Farm have figured out that you can do this. I mean, how many uh, just figuring that out? Uh-huh. How many crimes have been solved because somebody figured out you could do that? I don't know, probably a bunch. That pays for itself, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Because before that, they just
0: had no fingerprints; they would lost the fingerprints. No, they're like, oh well. And sorry. now they do the Buffalo Bill thing, and it's all good. Yeah.
1: Goodbye,
0: horses. <laughs> it puts a
1: lotion in the basket. <laughs> no, that was very good. That was pretty, pretty good. Right. Okay, so, um, yeah, that's dead body stuff. I'm sure we'll get to more of it in a few. Um, but really, forensic anthropologists come in most handy uh, when there is no flesh any longer. Yeah, bones. When it's just bones, uh-huh. right? Uh, because think about it. You've, you've lost any... Uh, any visual identification of even you know whether it was a man or a woman, right? Race, e- ethnicity, yeah, um, age, age uh-huh. anything like that. You can't just look at it like you can you know like that time we found that drifter in the woods that one time. Right, he was pretty new. You could tell, and sure. we knew it was like a white, probably mid thirties, right? Uh, you know, male. Uh huh. And you know, we just walked along and minded our own business. Whatever happened to that guy? I think? have no idea. Anyway, um. If you, if it's just a skeleton, if that dead drifter had just been a skeleton, then we wouldn't have been able to say any of those things with any kind of certainty. So when just a skeleton is found, uh, they call in a forensic anthropologist and they go to town, Chuck. Right. They can
0: still learn some of these things, Josh, as you know. They can look at – I guess the easiest thing they can do to determine gender is to look at the size of the bones because typically uh, men's bones are larger where it attaches to the muscle. Uh-huh. Not a dead giveaway, no pun intended, uh, but a good one, and there's differences in the pelvic bone. Uh, apparently, uh, the forehead is also a big telltale sign in yeah, gender and race.
1: Well, men's uh, foreheads tend to slope backwards, right? and women's are more rounded. True. Yeah. And looking at you, you have a very sloped rear forehead. Do I? Yeah. You can
0: tell. That's not your forehead, dude. That's the, your, the top of your head.
1: Oh, Oh, I gotcha.
0: And uh, females' chins usually come to a point, where a man's chin's a little more squared off. How's my chin? It's uh, beautiful, Josh. Okay, it's beautiful. Uh, ribs apparently can help determine age. Well, if they you get, have ragged they get a rubs. lot more ragged uh-huh. in
1: our age. They, they just get that. ragged out. Yeah. Um, and also with uh, with men and women, a dead giveaway is especially post adolescent men and women um, is a uh, the pelvis. Yes, the pelvic inlet. Is much wider in women. Basically, the hole in your pelvic pelvic bone right. is is much bigger in women than it is in men to allow for easier childbirth. You got it. Yeah, you don't and- want to pass a kid through <laughs> the no. pelvic inlet of a man. No, no, that would be painful. Like it's not painful enough
0: already. Sure. Um, and then when it comes to uh, the race, they they don't get too specific. They kind of want to say African, Asian, or European. They try to get you know stay pretty broad there.
1: Well at least at first, and then apparently there's some other signs that you can you can kind of narrow it down even further. But those are the first three categories, they lump them in.
0: Right. Actually I thought it was an interesting fact Tom had in here that there are more differences within each racial group than there are between each group as a whole. Which I thought was kinda cool.
1: Yeah, that is interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? So those are bones, right? Yeah,
0: those are bone. <laughs> dim bones. Dim bones,
1: yeah. <laughs> Josh, you want to talk about disease? Of
0: course. I know one of the big uh, concerns for residents that live near these body farms is, wait a minute, they just let these bodies, I mean, sometimes as many as 40 and 50 bodies out there, we're worried about buzzards, disease, uh, their, their bad stuff getting into the water and sure. nearby creeks, but it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, no one wants to drink dead body. No.
0: Uh, do you know why? Why? Because if you have an infectious disease it's not going to still be around after your body uh, is decomposing
1: yeah the uh, the um the infectious disease organisms yeah. also decompose absolutely they don't stick around too long but just to be certain any faculty or students who are you know interacting with these body farms they're inoculated against all manner of stuff yeah because sure. you know you yeah, don't want to sure. really take a chance sure um, but also, they, they go out of their way, I think, to test um, all all corpses that are donated to them uh, for any kind of infectious disease, diseases beforehand. So you got a clean, clean living corpse mm-hmm. that you just have out there that's not really going to cause much problem. Right. And it should be noted, too. Like you said, people do donate. I think uh, the one in
0: Tennessee said they had a list of either a list of 300 or they had already had 300 bodies uh, donated. And you can... Do that just like you're an organ donor. You can say, I'd like my body to mm-hmm. go to a body farm after
1: I die. Well, I think you want to contact the body farm first. Well, sure. See if they have room. Hey, here's a fun fact for you. Okay. Uh, in 2006, the University of Tennessee had more corpses and skeletons on its campus yes. than it had Asian students enrolled. <laughs> yeah, there were about sort of. um, 900 uh, in the osteopathological collection, uh-huh. 900 skeletons, another 700 in In two other skeletal collections. And then 40 or so bodies on the body farm. Uh, And there were only 673 Asian students on campus. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I wonder (laughs) if they had any Asian bodies. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Would that cancel out? No, No, probably not. Okay. Or maybe it would count toward the total count. Both ways, though. So it would cancel one another out. Oh, okay. Sure. But, I mean, everybody likes to be counted. So what else,
0: Josh? Should we talk about... uh, some of the
1: the ways that body farms have uh, helped out. You mean specifically? Yeah. E.g. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, that's a good one. Go ahead. I've Something long like been that. in pursuit of a John Wayne Gacy um, painting. You know, he's a prolific painter. Yeah. And I found a website finally. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. That he he wasn't a very good painter, sure. but you know, just to have a John Wayne Gacy, it's crazy. He also loved the um, the Seven Dwarfs were a common theme of his. Oh, he really? Was fascinated by the Seven Dwarfs for some reason. What a creep. He was a creepy dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when Gacy got popped in what the seventies? Yeah, I guess for the two of you who don't know who that is, John Wayne Gacy is a famous serial killer. <laughs> he was a serial killer of young men. Yes, he, he killed thirty-three he liked the men boys. And yeah,
0: he buried twenty-nine of them under his house.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> not a good place. Uh, which wasn't even necessarily his house; it was his mother's apartment, which right. goes a long way in explaining, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Sure. Um, but uh, when he finally got got. Busted, and he started telling the cops about how many people he had killed. Right. Uh, he they went out to uh, the, his mother's apartment complex and used ground penetrating radar and found basically a mass grave. The problem is, is like these bodies had been there for a while. He'd been killing kids for a real long time, and uh, the the bones had become entangled and they didn't know who was who or anything right. like that. So they brought in forensic anthropologists and I believe they they helped to successfully identify uh, most, if not all, of them. Right. Yeah. So you know that's one way body farms are contributing.
0: Sure. That's pretty cool. You know they'll they'll profile the bones and then they'll match that with uh, data for missing uh, kids and you know one kind of leads to the the other and I know it's closure somewhat for families in this kind of situation.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Which
0: is what we're going to talk about with the big bopper. I think you should talk about the big bopper. The big bopper was a singer that perished in the plane crash. With uh, Richie Valens and Buddy Holly oh. uh, back in the day, sure. And his son, uh, the Big Bopper's son, apparently got in touch with Dr. Bass because the the body of the Big Bopper was found. His name was J.P. Richardson, was found forty feet from the plane, and the son wanted to know, hey, did my dad actually die in the crash, or was he uh, trying to go get help and then died, you know, forty feet later? Because. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that would have made a difference in, in how he felt about the Well, apparently portion. that was a long, persisting legend, too. Right. And I guess he wanted to put it to rest. And he did put it to rest. Dr. Bass got involved, exhumed the body, and basically said every bone in this guy's body was crushed, and there's no way that he survived the, the crash, and he was thrown from the plane. And uh, that's the end of that story. Yeah. So the sun got that,
1: that kind of closure. Look, can I tell one more? Yeah. All right. So there's this um, this case in uh, 1933 in San Diego. Uh, a little uh, seven-year-old named Dalbert Aposian um, was found floating in San Diego Bay. Uh, and the coroner, I guess, ruled that he had been sodomized and um, sexually assaulted in other ways before being murdered. Wow. Uh, but they never found the killer. Right. And then apparently, San Diego got some federal funding uh, for opening cold cases, and this was one of the ones they went after. So they hired a forensic anthropologist and showed him, you know, old uh, crime scene photos uh-huh. and uh, notes from the detectives that worked the case. And I imagine it probably took the forensic anthropologist an hour or 10 minutes to say, no, this kid wasn't sodomized or murdered. Really? Yeah. The thing is, is back then, they had no idea. No one was studying this kind of thing. Right. Nowadays, we know that when the body reacts with water, all manner of nasty things happen. Yeah, the
0: bodies th- break down uh, twice as fast in the water.
1: Right, which is why a lot of people dispose of murder victims in, in lakes or you exactly. know, rivers. And I guess why
0: that. these cops weren't able to really tell much, right?
1: I think well, not only that they were just misled, and over the course of these, this the decades of study of decomposition, this forensic an anthropologist was able to say this kid wasn't murdered. Close your cold case. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: I know one of the researchers I saw uh, from that video at Tennessee is trying to put together a book like a, a reference guide for yeah. var- various states of decay. So, so, so it was really cops, interesting. Yeah, cops can kind of look at this instead of. Having to truck all the way out to the body farm like we
1: did. Well, yeah, and I, I got the the idea it was going to be like, okay, here's a picture of a body that's been underwater for seven days, right? Um, and you know, hold it up against your body, and does it look the same? No, right. we'll continue to the next page. Right. So yeah, I guess it's going to be like a. An illustrated atlas of decomposition, Pretty like a cool. field guide, right? I would love to get my hands on that one day yeah. when it's done. Yeah, I'd love to go to the body farm. Uh, I mean, again, <laughs> you know. You mean go back? Yes. You're yeah, right, right? Yeah. Uh, I talked should. to Tom and I asked him if he had gone, uh, yeah. and he was like, "No, they don't. They they learned a long time ago not to let journalists or weirdos in." Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So the guy
0: was describing the smell in the video. I thought that was interesting. He said it was. Didn't smell like a dead animal, like that familiar smell that when you smell a dead animal. Right. He said it's very different. He said it's unmistakable.
1: Yeah. He said it was uh, pungent and sweet. Yeah. Well, you smelled that. Interesting. Sure. So that's Body Farms. Um, yeah. Anything else? I don't. I don't really have anything else. How about you? Nope. All right. So uh, I guess let's just go straight to listener mail. Josh, we're going to. Uh, we're
0: going to. Ask our listeners for a little information here because I didn't know the answer to this question. Oh, nice. And we rarely toss that out. So we had uh, Paloma write in from California. And Paloma said, uh, Long time listener, I love your podcast. Uh, Makes my commute enjoyable. And Josh, you chose Chuck as your partner in crime, and y'all have a great chemistry. Blah, blah, blah. Did I have any choice?
1: Could we resist each other?
0: (laughs) No. No. It was destiny. Uh, So she says this I had a very odd experience a few days ago. It was a soupy day, a bit chilly, with a few sprinkles of rain here and there. I was over at my mother's house having a chat inside when suddenly there was an incredibly bright white and blue flash and a quick zapping sound. I thought a light bulb had burned out in the room or something. My mother said that she saw a white bolt come through the wall, pass just in front of my face, and then go through the opposite wall of the room. We looked everywhere and tried to think of any kind of rational explanation. No bulb had gone out, no strobe lights or camera to flash. Uh, 30 seconds after this weird phenomenon happened, we heard thunder rumble very nearby. After calming down, I uh, immediately thought of you two. You have answers for everything. So <laughs> People think of us when I, they
1: narrowly escape death, where their first
0: thought. So she says, uh, what in the world happened? Do you think it was lightning? Was it static electricity? Uh, what's going on here? Has anyone died of static electricity? So I don't know the answer. I did look up and found out that uh, no one... Can die of static electricity that, that I found. That's unless a normal, unless healthy it results human.
1: in spontaneous human combustion.
0: Huh? Thanks. And as far as I don't know, I don't think lightning can pass through the room of a house
1: like that. Plus, so. I don't think it, it goes right in front of your face. I think if it's coming that close to you, it goes right into you.
0: Right, and you would know. Well, because we had the other listener mail that I think had the side strike three blocks away, and right. he was zapped. Yeah. So. Paloma, we don't have an answer, but I'm hoping uh, some listeners out there that uh, are smarter than we are might have a clue as to what happened that day.
1: My money's on unicorns.
0: So maybe we'll, we'll follow up on this if we get some uh, feedback.
1: Yeah, if you have an answer for Paloma, especially if it's unicorns, you can send us an email uh, solving this mystery to stuffpodcasts at howstuffworks.com.